Hello, and welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball, and I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. I'm here once again with Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how's it going? Doing good, doing good. We're trying to sneak this in during Avery's nap time slash a busy work schedule slash quarantine slash trying to find something to talk about. So so not that many loops that we have to tie uh, ourselves through here this time. <laughs> yeah, um, it must be nice to be in Texas now outside of an earthquake country. I'm sure you saw your Twitter timeline just explode with that news last night. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I, it's funny. I actually saw it through a promoted tweet, which I, <laughs> <That's so weird. laughs> like I didn't, I didn't know that was something that people wanted promoted <laughs> that, that, uh, and, and I think it was through Pacifico said earthquake. So they spelt it. I mean, they spelt <laughs> it like, like they're from down South and, uh, and yeah, it was one of the weirder promoted tweets I've ever seen, but everything good on your end. Yeah. Oh, I was just, I, I just asked if everything was good on your end. Did you make it through the earthquake? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a strange one. Um, honestly, I, I tweeted this. It felt like a wrecking ball was being applied to my kitchen window. Holy crap. Uh, yeah. But then it was over like almost immediately, like no aftershock or anything. Uh, so I don't know. It's just one of those things you deal with when you're an LA resident, right? You yeah. Know, yeah. Not the best timing to ask if everything was good on your end and then for your audio to cut out right there. <laughs> yeah, what a Not strange daunting little at all. coincidence that was. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that, that you and your uh, window are all, are all intact. Yeah, thank goodness for that. Um, so we wanted to talk about today, there have been some big pieces of pop culture to drop in the NBA universe this week, uh, starting with The Last Dance, which... I'm sure you watched on Sunday or at least since then. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's also a book that Ethan Strauss wrote called The Victory Machine, which uh, is about the Golden State Dynasty. So a lot of talk about dynasties, something that we as Laker fans are fairly familiar with, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, and you had an interesting takeaway from Victory Machine in the last dance and thought we could share that and talk about it. Well, so it kind of dawned on me watching The Last Dance and then reading um, Ethan's book and then also having lived through the three-peat era, the back-to-back the -back championships, that was, I, I'm, I'm not sure if we were going to call it a, a dynasty per se, but uh, as dynasties go, uh, it seemed to be one of the more fun ones to be involved with, but mm -hmm. you kind of watch The Last Dance and then you watched, you know, Shaq and Kobe fight through their own dynasty and then uh, reading about Kevin Durant being just altogether miserable through basically his entire uh, Golden State experience. And it's kind of dawning on me how little fun it seems these dynasties might be. Like, I, I think they're fun to build towards, but when you're actually winning at that level, it just doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that, uh, that, that, I guess, creates as much happiness, generates as much happiness as you would think, seeing as that's like, the pinnacle, the entire reason you play a sport is to be involved with a dynasty like that. And it just mm -hmm. doesn't seem to suffice that way. Yeah, I've, I've always found it interesting that Kevin Durant said that winning a title didn't fulfill him in the way he thought it would when he went to Golden State. And honestly, the first thing I thought of when you brought up this idea that it doesn't seem as much fun to win is like what Coach K talked about when he coached the Redeem team in 2008 at the Olympics. 
he said that when they won the gold, his immediate feeling was relief, not joy that they had won a gold medal, you know, and brought the USA back to where they expect to be in terms of international basketball. But like, oh, thank God I actually did this. Like I didn't screw up. And (laughs) I'm not Greg Popovich. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Um, And I wonder like maybe the reason that dynasties are harder to live in, you know, or less fun during the actual process is because of the feeling of being chased versus the one, like you talk about how the 2008 Lakers season is one of your all time favorites, even though the Lakers didn't actually end up winning a title. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of because how it came out of nowhere, right? Like the Lakers started the season with Kobe Bryant making this trade request. Like he wants Andrew Bynum out. He wants Jason to get in. And then, you know, six months later, we've turned into this, the Lakers are the best team in the Western conference and battling the Boston Celtics again. Right. Like it's sort of, happened organically on its own and like we didn't expect it and that's what made it all the more satisfying with these dynasties like they come into every season knowing okay our job is to win a title and nothing Mm -hmm. else is going to be satisfying short of that outcome right so they spend the entire season being chased being the hunted and I wonder if that just wears on you you know yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't even think it's just about titles too, even though that is kind of the end game there. But even on a nightly basis, like you don't get joy from winning basketball games in that situation. Mm-hmm. You just you're happy that you aren't sports center or first take fodder for the next few days because uh you you staved off uh you know an unfortunate loss to like the Orlando Magic on a Tuesday night, you know. Uh mm-hmm. when when you know we even kind of saw it here with the Bucks this year where they won <laughs> somehow they won 83 games in a season that hasn't been played to fruition yet. And, and the only time that anybody ever really talked about them was after losses or, you know, to, to try to figure out when uh, Giannis can go to a city media people want to watch finals games from anyway. And um, it, it just, it just seems like such a daunting way to go through and what's already an excruciating 82 game season. It's already as long, long enough as it is, but if you don't then also get to enjoy uh, the wins in that kind of a situation and and it's more of a sense of relief, then that, that seems like a pretty awful way to to go through it. And I actually kind of also want to go back to that, that coach K uh, sense of relief. And what I find interesting there is, that team very easily could have lost that game to, to um, Spain, Spain in the, in the final game. That was a, that was a back and forth kind of thing. It's, it's actually my favorite Kobe game of all time. Uh, but, you know, had they, Spain was really, really good. They had uh, two all-stars in Marcus Gasol and Pau Gasol already. Uh, Jose Calderon was still a useful slash very good uh, uh international player they had a roster that more closely fit and and understood how to play together in a global setting like that was not had the had the the redeem team there lost that game it wouldn't have been just this crushing agonizing uh david versus goliath type game that it would have been uh painted out to be and yet you know like coach k says they win that game and instead of showing, you know, joy or jubilance at having just beaten the best team that a country will ever put together, 
uh, Coach K walks away from that saying, thank, thank goodness we took yeah. care of business there. That's insane. And, you know, you look at, you look at uh, those dynasties that, that we're talking about here, the, uh, the Bulls of the 90s, the, the Lakers of the early 2000s, um, the Warriors here. And, and, you know, the Warriors lost to quite possibly the best player we might ever see in LeBron James at his absolute peak. Um, and then he also had the help of one of the better young point guards at that time in Kyrie Irving and one of the most prolific statistical power forwards in Kevin Love. And yet that scene is like this. I mean, it's become a meme, right? The, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the, the, the losing the three, one league that became a meme. And, you know, I just feel like, and then, you know, you look at the, the Bulls when they beat the Jazz in those years, had they lost to the Jazz in, in, in any of those seasons, uh, that would have been against one of the best tandems that the sport has ever seen. Uh, the Lakers were having to go through a Spurs team that was in the midst of their own kind of dynasty, right? Given how mm-hmm. long they were uh, relevant. And then the best Blazers team of all time, uh, maybe other than the, the Walton team that won a championship. And you, you kind of you look at all these things and these teams are accomplishing these these absolutely marvelous feats of teamwork and and ability, and yet it was expected. And I feel like that's gotta be so draining on everybody involved. And you really kind of see it in the way that Durant talks about his time in Golden State and and especially how Michael like my it was also it was almost sad to listen to Michael talk talk about his time with the Chicago Bulls, which like made him the kind of made man that his generation upon generation upon generations are, are going to benefit from. But he just kind of looked at it as like, yeah, that was a thing that happened. And fortunately we did enough winning in the meantime to be able to make it all worthwhile. Exactly. I think um, one thing that really stands out from what you said is that having that one ultimate end goal just sort of minimizes everything that happens in between, right? Like you can't enjoy the individual regular season games and, I wonder if that's more of a recent phenomenon that because of our like hyper social way that we process mm-hmm. the league, that everything gets picked upon. Like I think about the early days of the, the heatles, you know, like with LeBron and Wade and Bosch, like how, you know, LeBron bumps Eric Spolster's shoulder on the way back to the bench when they're playing <laughs> Utah. I'm like, yeah. I, I vividly remember this. It's a stupid little detail, but I know that they were playing Utah. Like, Paul Millsap had just hit a shot. I think they're about to go to nine and seven. That's nine and eight at the start of that season. And like, it was such a minor trivial thing. And yet that's all we could talk about. Right. Because for some yeah. reason that was, you know, the way we had decided to consume the Miami heat that year. And it just, it seems like it can be so draining to have that pressure constantly of we have put this team together to compete for a championship and like it's not even so much that like the regular season doesn't matter. It's just that we will only assess it by what happens in the playoffs. So like, this is just a training ground for what happens in the postseason. And like, I, I feel like we think about these one year, you know, one hit wonder teams so much more fondly. Like people have such, you know, happy memories of the Dallas Mavericks, right? The ones that beat the heat mm-hmm. that year or like Toronto, it seems like there was so much more, so much less stress rooting for that team last year because there was just this immense joy of like, Oh my God, we got Kawhi Leonard. And like, this might actually happen. And it wasn't like, Oh, if we don't win a title, it's not going to be like a worthy season. It's just like, Oh my God, we might actually win a title. Like it was all happiness all the time in terms of rooting for that team. 
And like the minute you win, the minute you win and you come back the next season as a defending champion, it's like, there's just this weight that's put on the team. Like I think about the 2010 Lakers regular season, mm-hmm. the playoffs were so enjoyable for that season. Um, very stressful, honestly, just the Celtics series. But like before that, um, I thought the Lakers like completely transformed when they got to the postseason. But in the regular season, that year was a slog. Like mm-hmm. Kobe ends up hitting what six or seven regular season game winners that year. But like otherwise, the Lakers would have had a pretty mediocre record that year because they just had nothing in the tank really, or seemingly no regard for the regular season after having won the title the year before. Um, and it's not that it like. It's not fun to watch, you know, obviously Kobe hit that game winner against Miami or the one against Sacramento. Like there's, there's a lot of great moments in there, but like, I don't think it should have come down to that. You know? Yeah. I feel like a team with that much talent uh, probably could have put a better effort, but like once you've already been a champion, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I think I blame the Golden State Warriors too much for the devaluation of the regular season, but maybe it was happening before that, right? Like these title teams that come in the next year, like even the 2000 to 2002 Lakers did that where like the regular season record just got progressively worse after each title. Uh, is it yeah. just because they realize that like it doesn't ultimately matter or you're just, you know, pacing yourself? Well, I, I think, I think, I mean, as you were talking, it was really kind of hitting me that inherently there are two different seasons. Mm-hmm. Like you think of how different, a regular season game is or or the the experience of a regular season in the NBA you play 82 games you basically if you've won a championship already you know you can win on the road i would imagine so mm-hmm. all you need to be able to do is get to the playoffs with enough momentum and enough of a rhythm and enough of an understanding of what it takes to be able to compete together and you know usually all that normally takes is like 50 wins right? If you get to 50 mm-hmm. wins or, or 55 or, or anything, especially above 55, you, you, you're pretty much set. You know what you're probably getting yourself into. Maybe there's a team you want to avoid. So at the end there, you try to position yourself so you don't, get, you don't have to play that team in a, in a series. But for the most part, a team that has won a championship already, they know what it's going to take. Um, and yet, like, that's, not how fans, that's not how fans take in the sport. No, no mm-hmm. fan is ever like, all right, we're good. We got to 55 wins. We can go ahead and, and, and take the rest of the year off. We're set. Like, no, if a fan tunes into a game, they're expecting their team to offer them happiness. Like, like that's why we're all, we're all sports fans because it offers up us a reprieve or, or for some a release to just be able to just feel the happiness that comes with something that you root for, you invested emotionally into and you now want to be able to watch that team win on a, on a regular basis. And, you know, you get to the playoffs and it's a completely different thing. It is literally, all right, we have to, we have seven games to win four games against this opponent. And then the next time we're going to, we, we have another seven games to beat this very different opponent. And then after that, we have two more series like this that are just, it's the <laughs> same team back to back to back to back. And, and, and these, these settings are so different uh, and yet we expect similar things out of them as fans. And, and certainly in terms of coverage, some of that same stuff gets covered in a way that like there's an expectation for a great team to go out there and win every night, or at least go out there and show like you give a damn every night. And yet that's not really what is necessary in the regular season. 
And so you have this kind of clash of expectations and, and what something actually is. And yeah, I don't, I'm not positive the NBA regular season is set up to allow a dynastic run to, to feel fun in the moment. I, I, I really think that's something that I don't think it's something that can get fixed. And I think you probably wind up creating more problems by trying to fix it. But, but for those rare dynasties, I could see why regular seasons are just like, oh, all right, fine. We'll, we'll do our taxes and then we'll, we'll get to the postseason at the end of it. All right. I have a specific question about a dynasty we haven't talked about yet, but let's take a quick break before I get to that. Okay. So while you were talking about the fact that the regular season is so challenging to get through for these, you know, dynastic teams, um, I was thinking about the eighties Celtics and Lakers and Mm -hmm. I, I consider both of those teams to be dynasties. I think the Lakers won five in that decade and the Celtics won three. Damn right. Um, And, (laughs) you know, the Celtics won a lot of titles then as well. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But I don't recall either of the players from those teams talking about what an effort it was during Mm. those regular seasons. Um, Is it possible that, like, even though we regard both those teams as dynasties, because of the presence of the other one, neither of them was ever the outright favorite going into the season and thus, like, you still have some of that little chip on your shoulder uh, in I terms of, I mean, I feel like just NBA players thrive on that chip on their shoulder. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely onto something. And then I think Larry Bird has also kind of spoken to this specifically that after magic retired, um, you know, from HIV, he bird was like, found it hard to find an inspiration to go out there and really try hard because mm-hmm. they would, you know, Magic would say that he would look, wake up the next morning and check the newspaper for the box score. And he would see Bird outscored him by like five points and, and be <laughs> upset and want to go out there and, and outscore Bird the next game. And they were kind of pushing each other in this in this really cool kind of relationship that you don't really often see very much. Like if you're the, the, the thing is, like if a dynasty is taking place, kind of by definition, there shouldn't be another dynasty going on except Mm -hmm. at that time you're absolutely right to point out that boston had this dynastic run that also happened to coincide with the lakers run and it made for this really cool simultaneous driving force for for each party um and i think that does make the uh regular season more interesting for both of those teams and both the fan bases because you actually have a goal in mind like the the lakers wanted to have and actually back then it was really important that the Lakers didn't get uh, didn't give up home court advantage to Boston because playing in the Boston garden, you just never really knew how that was going to happen. Exactly. The air conditioning might go out randomly (laughs) uh, in, in the visiting locker room uh, in, or, or, you know, they, Larry bird, I think, I believe tracked the dead spots on the, on the floor there and understood like if you drove, defenses to those spots it was going to create a cheap turnover here here and there so you had this real impetus to have these teams get that home uh court advantage i keep wanting to say home field advantage but home court advantage it's the same idea uh, yeah um against each other that i don't know has existed like the bulls probably felt like they could win anywhere right they they mm-hmm. they you know michael jordan's most famous shot took place in utah um the lakers you know, probably felt that they could win 
anywhere, right? Kobe's, one of Kobe's most important moments happened in uh, Indianapolis uh, in game four of that series uh, when Shaq fouled out going in overtime. Uh, And and you kind of go, I think maybe for the Heat, it, it was more important because, you know, getting home court advantage was a little bit more important uh, just because of so much that was going on and every single thing that they were seemingly up against was built to be this way bigger thing uh, just because of the way that team was uh, covered. So, but yeah, overall, that relationship between the 80s Celtics and the 80s Lakers made for, uh, I think, a lot more fun uh, existence all the way around. That was a, That's a really good point. Yeah, I think just having that counterweight, you know, sort of provides the team with a little more motivation during the season. Like when I think about the Warriors dynasty, I sort of, I think we all sit, split it into like two pieces, right? Like the pre-KD part and the post-KD part. And I think everyone would agree that the pre-KD Warriors are tremendously fun. Um, mm-hmm. Not a dynasty, but they look like they were enjoying the hell out of every single one of those games that they we'll played. never know. <laughs> yeah, it could have been, <laughs> that's right? The, that's the sad part is that like <laughs> KD ruined that for everybody. I'm happy right, he, was, like, he was miserable. I'm kidding. Even yeah. like coming after a title in 2015-16, right? Like they still had so much joy that season because they were sort of dealing with this um, nagging complaint that like, oh, you know, they only won the finals because every opponent they faced in the playoffs was like missing their starting point guard, right? Mm-hmm. So there was still that question hanging, like are these legitimate champions or not? And there was something more to prove themselves, you know? And then once they'd already proven themselves and once they got Kevin Durant, it was like, why are we even bothering with these 82 games, right? Mm -hmm. And they didn't really have a meaningful antagonist to challenge them in any way, right? Uh, Like the Lakers, you know, in that second run, the Kobe Powell run, they had an antagonist, right? Like the Celtics existed. Um, For the entire Lakers existence, the Celtics existed. So I guess that changes things. (laughs) But um, yeah, maybe it's just, I think that's just such a rare occurrence that you could have two teams that are so historically great at the same time that they actually bring out the best in one another and then like simultaneously make the league more interesting as a result. Uh, Mm -hmm. But like Jordan, just like thinking back to the last dance, uh, he kind of wanted to be like on a plane above everybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, And I don't know, to me, he's like the last player to sort of carry himself that way that like, uh, like LeBron, you know, he, he admits all these like perceived slights, like the washed king or like revenge season, right? Like he's, he's trying to prove things, even if he won't outwardly admit them, right? But like watching the Jordan doc, it seems like he didn't even want to like give off the impression that anything bothered him, you know, like at least externally outside of the bulls. It was just, I mean, it seemed like he was impermeable to any of that stuff. I, I don't know. That's the impression you got watching that. Yeah. I, I think it's a couple things. Uh, I, I mean, to fall back on the cliche, it's lonely at the top, right? So right. for for the vast majority of everybody in the world who are pursuing something, it's extremely rare to reach the actual pinnacle of that thing, right? Mm-hmm. And for Jordan to reach that absolute pinnacle of the sport and then hold it for so long, uh, I, I kind of wonder if if it became extra lonely in that regard. Because like you look at you look at LeBron's run and his time at the top of the sport, you know, he he came into a league where uh Duncan and Kobe were were both kind of fighting or vying for it, right? And exactly. and then uh you know LeBron kind of attains that 
that mantra of the game's actual baddest dude. And even while that is going on, he's going up against the baddest team in the history of the sport. So he, I don't know. I don't, I, I'd be interested to see if LeBron felt as lonely at the top as maybe Jordan did because he was, he had an inherent challenger there in a way that Jordan didn't really, the league was so far behind him that, that there was no real challenger there. And, uh, and then for, for Jordan being the ultimate competitor, it's almost a, a sad kind of relationship. He's looking for some kind of a peer to show up and he was never going to slow himself down to let somebody catch up to him. So he wanted somebody to catch him kind of organically. And ironically, maybe the only player who might have been able to kind of challenge him physically was his teammate, was, right. was, was Scottie Pippen. So uh, I, I, I kind of wonder if, if that was part of why Jordan felt maybe an, a, a little extra lonely. And then, you know, I kind of look at Kevin Durant as a really interesting version of this kind of same thing where if you just, if I was just to describe a player and I'd say, all right, so this guy's about seven feet tall. Uh, he moves laterally like a guard, can actually handle the ball like a, a wing or like a, like a guard, and can shoot from like 35 feet with no problem whatsoever. His release point is so high that almost nobody can really contest his shot in a, in a real uh, meaningful way. And, oh, also, by the way, he's seen as the second best player on his team. <laughs> and I would imagine that would drive him insane. I, like the idea that, that uh, Kevin Durant, I, who I consider more individually talented than Steph, uh, would, would and, and, you know, there are some series, in both the series where he played against uh, LeBron, he kind of sort of wiped the floor with LeBron. Like he did. This final series, yeah. Yeah, and, and yet nobody really looks at them in that regard. And, and I think for Durant, like he, he feels lonely even while he technically has company at the pinnacle of the sport, but his loneliness comes from the fact that nobody identifies him at having been at the pinnacle of the sport because LeBron had such a stranglehold on that spot. And also because this guy, Steph is so much more likable on his own team. It's just this, it's this fascinating thing. And you add that all of that to the stuff that goes on in your normal dynasty and, and it really kind of makes sense in contextualizing why Durant was so interested in, in leaving as quickly as he did. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd never thought of the Bulls as being like a, a miserable environment to be in, you know, up until like maybe just because I wasn't, you know, really following the league at that time. I was so young. But uh, the Warriors just like I, – I almost think of them as an anomaly in terms of how dysfunctional it was, right? Mm -hmm. Like – I, I like I was at that game you know when Kevin Durant and Jermon Green started yelling at each other and like uh, <laughs> it's just like those things aren't supposed to happen like on a normal basketball team right they're not supposed to happen when you're winning 65 games a year and like routinely just demolishing opponents uh, it's like the Durant thing just bothered me on you know an extension just entirely different level like you said it ruined the potential for the pre-KD Warriors to be a dynasty it ruined the potential for OKC to be anything. Uh, maybe he's just like an anomaly in terms of what a dynasty looks like because he joined an existing one and then created a new one, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like winning should be more fun, right? Like, is it, is <laughs> it something, <laughs> there's something like as essential about like, just like you said, being lonely at the top or 
is success just that hard to maintain that it requires like a sacrifice of joy to be able to consistently do it? I, I just refuse to believe that it has to exist that way. But unfortunately, every example I can think of seems to suggest otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think at the end of the day, expectations are can be can be crushing and. Mm-hmm. When you're a dynasty, the, the expectations are continued dynastic performances. And, you know, I think eventually that's going to end uh, just about any, any kind of a run or make, it, uh, or make it impossible to continue to live up to those expectations in a way that makes it feel like you're growing, right? Because like, the, reason, the, the reason the build up to a dynasty is so much fun is because you're growing. You're, there's right. the, even when you lose as you're becoming a dynasty, those are just, those are just steps along the way. Those are speed bumps along the way to eventually becoming a dynasty. And then once you reach that point, now what, right? There's the, now, now we just got to try to knock off all these comers who, by the way, have the potential to be as dynastic as we are. And, exactly. And they're in the fun know, part of it. <laughs> right. They're, they're at the fun. Yeah, exactly. So like they're, they aren't dealing with the crushing expectations that we're dealing with. And also, might not be that far behind us. So it's got to be pretty daunting in, in that respect too. It's why like my entire career, I've basically just beaten down expectations from people just because it's, it's way easier to meet that low bar. <laughs> it's just keep that yeah. bar as low as possible. I don't know. It makes me appreciate the fact that San Antonio was able to sustain that level of yeah. excellence for so long without any real drama. I mean, other than like, you know, their players sleeping with each other's wives. But that's... <laughs> It didn't manifest on the court, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, that that moment you're talking about, like when a dynastic team sort of meets a new one, like I always think about that 2010 first round series between the Lakers and the Thunder. And you could mm. tell that like we had gotten them right at the perfect time because there was no way we would be able to beat that team again. And we didn't two years yeah. later. Yeah. But they were just in that moment where they were about to do something really special and we were just trying to hang on for our last, last life. Yeah. 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 It feels like forever ago, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the, that's the example of these guys aren't that far behind us. They are living in the cool moment of, Hey, we're trying to make it and we're about to make it. Uh, and meanwhile, the Lakers are, are dealing with the expectations of no, 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 you have to beat that team that happens to have a guy who would eventually average a triple double another future MVP uh, another future MVP in, in Kevin Durant, who could, I think he wound up winning the MVP the very next year. Um, and, and an organization that laid the groundwork for some of the, the way that the, uh, that team building goes on in the modern NBA. Um, that was a really, really good team. And the Lakers, like had they lost to them, it would have felt like this giant letdown. And, and I think that's, I think that's kind of what plagues all these, dynasties is they there are there are teams that aren't that far behind them and the expectation is if you if you don't beat them we are going to mock you because you didn't beat a team that is very capable of of their own dynastic run in the same way you just had it yeah I think it's it's all about perception at a certain point and I guess just bringing it back to this current Lakers team that's probably why this was so much fun that even Mm -hmm. though LeBron James has obviously been at various stages of this dynastic conversation throughout his career at this particular instant right the lakers were building something and they were like i didn't come into this season thinking that they would be the first seed in the west or 
you know, routinely wiping the floor with people, but it did it anyway. And that ability to rise above expectation was just so enjoyable to watch and I miss them. And I hope <laughs> we get too. a chance to see this team <laughs> in some similar iteration, but we'll see. Yep. Thanks for coming on, Anthony. Anything you wanted to close with? Or... No, this was fun. This is, uh, we're, we're still trying to pull topics out of thin air, but so far so good. And, uh, and, and yeah, I just hope sure making sure uh, to, to send positive vibes to everybody out there with the, there's enough going on without the actual earth shaking under your feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and thank you all for listening. This has been, I love basketball. Make sure to subscribe to the Silver Screen Roll podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your shows. And take care.